Well, they have been celebrating this week up in Canton, Ohio, as they have brought in new classes to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I say classes plural because I think the class of last year was not able to be inducted because of the pandemic. And so they had lots of people to enshrine into the Hall of Fame. I realize not everybody's a football fan. And so if you're not familiar with the Hall of Fame, they give a guy a nice gold jacket with the Hall of Fame logo on it. And he gets his picture taken behind a bust of his likeness. Here's Brett Favre, former quarterback of the Packers and the Vikings. And, uh, and so the, 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 that bust form, that bust likeness of them, will actually stand in the hall, the physical building there in Canton, Ohio. And so one of the guys in this year's class, uh, the first time he was eligible, because you have to be out of the league for, I think, five years, and so Peyton Manning, no stranger to people in Tennessee, uh, when he was setting all kinds of records playing in Knoxville back in the 90s. Uh, So Peyton is what they would call a first ballot Hall of Famer. Not everybody gets in on the first ballot. Case in point, a guy named Donnie Schell, of the Pittsburgh Steelers was also enshrined in the Hall of Fame in this class. And so Donnie Shell played safety for the Steelers from 74 to 87. So different position as Peyton Manning, a different era that he played in than Peyton Manning. And, uh, you know, Donnie Shell had already played two years in the National Football League before Peyton was even born. He was retiring from the game when Peyton would have been about middle school, okay? But for a guy that retired from the league in 87, so you do the math, he would have been eligible eligible for the Hall in the early 90s. And he's just now getting in in 2021. You think, well, why is it? Why are not everyone get in when they're eligible. Well, some people take some more convincing. Peyton Manning set so many records that nobody had to be convinced that he should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. A guy like Donnie Shell, people had to be reminded that he was part of a Steelers team that won four Super Bowls, twice as many as Peyton in his career. That he was a guy who managed to go to five Pro Bowls. And those not familiar with the game, that means he's an all-star. Five of those years out of his career. That at the time that he retired, he had the record for interceptions for a safety in professional football. I think 51 interceptions in his career. So, a, a, a remarkable career in his own life. But the reality is... Probably many of you, when you walked in the door this morning, had heard of Peyton Manning. I would be surprised if more than a handful of you had ever heard of Donnie Shell. And when we turn to Scripture, it's the same way with people we read about in the Bible, isn't it? I mean, there are people that we learned about in vacation Bible school or Sunday school when we were very young. People like Abraham and Moses. Now those guys, if there was a a biblical hall of fame, they're first ballot hall of famers, right? Abraham and Moses, no doubt. The guy we read about today 
is somebody that some of you may not be all that familiar with. And so we're going to take just a moment to remind ourselves of something from Israel's history before we talk about this biblical character. After the death of Solomon, he was the third king of Israel, the kingdom was divided. And so as you see pictured here, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel is there in green and then Judah is in the other color. I don't know if that's brown or uh, it's, it's orange on my slide, but it looks a little different up there. That's okay. You see the difference in the colors. You see where Judah is. And so uh, as we've talked about before, but it's been a while that in Israel, the northern kingdom, that there were no good kings. There were 19 kings in their history, and none of them did good or were faithful in the eyes of God. Now you wonder, what does it mean? What kind of bad did they do? Well, frankly, they worshipped pagan gods. That was a big problem that the Israelites struggled with, is being influenced by the people around them. Let me repeat that. I think it, it's something we need to hear. A big problem that God's people had in ancient times was being influenced by the people not of God that were around them. Now church, I repeat that because we need to be reminded that not to be assimilated not to have the desire to blend in to those ungodly people in the world that we might see around us. And so the southern kingdom of Judah had 20 kings in their history. And there were about four or five of them that did worship Yahweh. That did lead according to the principles of Scripture. And that is someone that we read about today. In 2 Kings 18, 5-7, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. So, it stands to reason that if Israel, the northern kingdom, had no good kings, and Judah only had a handful of good kings, the author of 2 Kings tells us very plainly, none of the kings of Judah before him or after him were on his level of faithfulness. So I think it's fair to say, in the, in the era of the divided kingdom in those 39 kings, Hezekiah stands at the top of the list. Not someone we probably learned much about growing up. But the author of 2 Kings tells us very plainly that he kept the commandments the Lord had given Moses. The Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. And so we see in 2 Chronicles 
32 verses 7 to 8, something that Hezekiah told his people when they were being threatened by the king of Assyria. He told his people, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our and to help us fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. He tells them very plainly, doesn't he, church family? He says, hey, all they are is human flesh. We have the power of God with us. And it was because of his faithfulness in God that he had that kind of confidence. And so, if I remember my ancient Israel history correctly, the Assyrians besieged the northern kingdom, but not the southern kingdom. And so the southern kingdom would fall some years later to a different group of people. And so Hezekiah gives this speech here that kind of reminds me of Winston Churchill speaking to the British army and the British citizens in World War II. You know, we're going to fight everywhere. We're going to fight on the beaches and we're going we're gonna to push them back. And, and he rallied everyone. And they believed in what he was saying. And Hezekiah showed us that in the ancient of days that he was that kind of leader. That the people believed in him. We're told very clearly here by the chronicler that the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah said. And so now we turn to 2 Kings chapter 20. When Hezekiah receives a warning. In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah son of Amos went to him and said, This is what the Lord says, Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil and he recovered. Hezekiah had asked Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now? 
Isaiah answered, This is the Lord's sign to you, that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps, or shall it go back ten steps? It is a simple matter for the shadow to go forward ten ten steps, said Hezekiah. Rather, have it go back ten steps. Then the prophet Isaiah called on the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back ten steps, as it had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So, he asked for, I mean, he is given this miraculous sign after he prays this very heartfelt prayer. That before Isaiah can even leave the building, God tells him, go back and tell him, you know, he's got more time. And we're going to defend that city. We're going to defend his army against the evil army that is trying to besiege Jerusalem. And so, this is, is an amazing story in its own right. That, that here is somebody who was the best out of 39 kings of Israel and Judah. Someone who, when he was told that get your affairs in order because you're, you're going to die. That he poured out his heart to God wasn't a long prayer, as it's recorded. It's simply that, that he was someone who reminded God of his faithfulness. That he tried to walk with God. And I wish the story ended right there. But as almost everyone in the Bible reminds us, they are human. And so we read in 2 Chronicles 32, In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah's heart was proud and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore the Lord's wrath did not come on them during the days of Hezekiah. So the chink in Hezekiah's armor, you might say, is that Hezekiah was dealing with some pride, wasn't he, church? Where he should have had a thankful heart. He should have been a, per- a person of tremendous gratitude. But again, the chronicler tells us that it was his pride that almost did him in. It was his pride that almost did Judah and Jerusalem in. But, what did he do? What all faithful sons and daughters of God do. He recognized his shortcoming and he repented. And so what could have come to pass did not come to pass. You know, in in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, So if you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now church, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you have struggled with something and then you get to a point where you think to yourself, well, you know, that that I used to struggle with, I don't struggle with that anymore. 
And then it's not long after you have that thought that the devil says, Oh yeah? I think that's still one of the desires of your heart. Or I think that's still one of your weaknesses. And so, then what happens? Here comes the fall. And if you're like me, you know what that feels like. You know what it feels like to identify your weaknesses, to spend time in prayer with God, to work on overcoming those weaknesses, and then to get to that point that you think, wow, huh, I haven't dealt with that temptation in a long time. Well, how about that? That's just awesome that I've overcome that once and for all. No. If only it worked that way, church. And I know I'm not alone. I know that 7 billion people on the planet, you know, Paul wasn't inspired to write this just for me. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You can fall flat on your face as easily as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Yeah. Now, that that's Eugene Peterson has a way of just taking scripture and then slapping us upside the face with it, right? You know, that, hey, uh, you know, don't be so naive. Don't rely on self-confidence. There's a whole world out there. Lots of people that get paid thousands of dollars to go to events and be public speakers. There are lots of people that write books and inspiring people to gain self-confidence. And yeah, if you have low confidence, low self-esteem, then that needs to be worked on. Yeah, it's good to have a certain amount of self-confidence. But the kind of self-confidence that results from sinful pride, that's the kind of self-confidence that will put you flat on your face, church family. And so, that is the warning of Scripture. Just like Hezekiah got a warning that, hey, you know, get, get, it, get your stuff in order because it's, it's about to be over for you. Holy Scripture is full of warnings. God's Word reminds us over and over again of the things we're not to be about. If Hezekiah had been a more grateful person, if he had been a more thankful person, then that repentance would not have been necessary. And if Greg had been a more thankful person and had been more God-confident instead of self-confident at times in my life, then there are things that I would not have had to repent for. Now I do say praise God for repentance. Thank God for those times that we fail over and over again and He keeps welcoming us back 
with open arms. Someone recently that has, uh, and I know these, these are small, and it's hard to read that, uh, but someone that has been exhibiting what I would consider to be a level of God confidence, especially in a profession where a lot of people rely on their own uh, athletic ability. But this is a screenshot from Twitter. And so Jim Wyatt is a guy who writes for the Titans, the Tennessee Titans website. Used to be a reporter. And so as is the custom during training camp, Training camp started two weeks ago, and every day the players come off the field, and right there next to where they come off the field, there's a room where the reporters gather. They've been there, they've watched part of training camp, they've taken some notes, and now Mike Vrabel, the head coach, and then a couple of players, they change every day, come in and take time at the podium answering questions for reporters. Well, Jim Wyatt looks over his shoulder and notices this guy taking a knee and what appears to be praying. It's a guy named Marcus Johnson. I think he's been in the league about four years. The Titans acquired him in the offseason as a free agent. And uh, he's had an exceptional training camp, from what reporters keep saying. Some say that he's probably going to make the roster. If you don't know what that means, it means that at his position, a wide receiver, there's about 13 guys at training camp. Only about six, maybe seven of them are actually going to make the roster in a couple of weeks. And so Marcus Johnson here is taking this posture of humility. Now, some people that are cynical might say, well, he's doing it in front of reporters. Well, actually, he's doing it behind reporters. They're facing the other way. Wyatt just happened to look over his shoulder and see this. And so he even says uh, that, you know, he mentions Marcus Johnson taking a knee to pray as he headed off the practice field and into the building. Not sure what's going on here. Help us, Lord. And so I bring this up to say that I didn't know a whole lot about Marcus Johnson except he was a receiver who's played for one or two other teams and was having a good camp. And so that inspired me to go to his, uh, to his uh, Twitter uh, profile. And that's actually where this came from because he retweeted uh, Jim Wyatt's picture of him. But he gave it context saying the greatest thing football ever did was bring me closer to God. Now I thought that was an impressive comment. And so I looked a little further at Marcus Johnson's uh, profile. And at the very top it says, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And I think, well, that, that's a nice quote. I hope, he's, I hope he's able to walk in the light and live it out since he's putting it right there on social media, a guy that has 12,000 people following him. And then I noticed a tweet that he had pinned. Now again, if you don't not on social media, don't know Twitter, I understand. But the last thing you posted is the thing that will show up on top. Unless you have a pinned tweet. So he has this tweet pinned from October of 2017 that I notice. And that's what he wants everyone to notice when they check out his profile. 
that doesn't matter what he's posted today or yesterday, the first thing he wants you to see is what happened in October of 2017. And that is a day that Vargas Johnson got in a pool and had a bunch of guys, probably teammates, standing around, heads bowed, standing hand in hand, praying over Marcus Johnson as he becomes our brother in Christ. That is what he wants his 12,000 plus followers on Twitter to see when they visit his profile. Now that's somebody that appears to be working on their God confidence. And church family, may we all be people who show the world that we are a child of God before we are anything else. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, whether you're talking about it or whether you're doing it, let's all do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Doing what, church? Giving thanks to the Father through Him. Because we are to be people, if we have a healthy outlook, if we have a healthy perspective as God's children, we are to be people who give glory to God for whatever success we have. We have to be people who give glory to God for whatever good comes out of our life. That's who God calls us to be. Not a people who rely on our own abilities, on our own self-confidence, but a people that are working every day in humility on our God-confidence. That's the people that we're called to be. Church family, let's make sure we put pride aside and that we are people who are thankful. That we are people who are known for our gratitude. Let's be those people. If you're with us this morning and you didn't make the step that Marcus Johnson made four years ago, that you didn't confess Christ as Lord and be immersed in the waters of baptism, then we make that opportunity available for you today. And if you're here this morning and there's something that you need to bring before this body of believers that we can pray with you about, then we offer the invitation for that reason also. Let's stand together and sing.